Hey there, and welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner. I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and business coach for ambitious women who are boldly taking their business to the next level. And I believe that building a successful business isn't about working 24-7 just to merely meet a revenue goal. What it does take is a unique blend of dedication to purpose, courageous action, and frequently sheer will to overcome the odds that lead to meaningful impact and experiencing a life well lived. In each episode, you'll get to know the women and men who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of success and failure that have made them incredible leaders and the magic they gift the world with. As you're listening, and I hope finding value, don't forget to share the Tribe of Leaders podcast with all of your other entrepreneurial friends and to follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast. I cannot believe that it is almost 2023. I was on a call with a client of mine a couple of days ago, and we were remarking that there were only two weeks left, a little bit less than two weeks left. And we were talking about what she had learned, what she had really knocked out of the park and what she was going to let go of, which made me think of this podcast because a lot of times letting go of things and making shifts is one of the best things you can do to move forward. And if you listened to last week's episode, you know that I mentioned that there was going to be a new change, a big announcement coming. And that is that we're going to let go of the tribe of leaders name and branding for this podcast as we continue to evolve. And the new name is going to be as of January 1st, women who build empires. And the reason why I chose that was I want to be able to share with you the really cool stories of how women are building different businesses and leading differently, which has stemmed out of a lot of different conversations that I've had with some of the women in the interviews that are going to be released in the next several weeks. And to be able to give you the inspiration and the knowledge to create what it is that works for you in your business. And diving into today's episode, I have Amanda Holmes, who is the CEO of Chet Holmes International. It is a company that has assisted over 200,000 businesses in growing, scaling, making more money. Her dad was the original author of what's known as the Sales Bible. If you have any experience, in-depth experience with sales. It's the ultimate sales machine. And I had Amanda on in February of this past year. You'll definitely want to go check out her interview. She has some really cool insights on how to connect with your clients in a way that is so not salesy. It's episode 122. And on today's show, I wanted to bring her back two reasons. One, she rewrote her dad's book updated it for the 21st century, and also made a lot of languaging shifts in how she wrote the book and what she changed. And I love her commentary on that. So we go into this episode. But the other thing that that I found so fascinated and I wanted, or I found so fascinating and I wanted to have her back on is that she was 24 when her dad passed and left her this huge corporation. And she had been a music student. She'd gone to college for music and was now 
being asked to join this large corporation as its leader at its helm, which she was not prepared for. So she dives into that into the in this episode as well, and what that was like and how she built authority and credibility with people who had far more experience and far more knowledge than she did and how that has led her to and how that has led her to doubling Chet Holmes International's clients twice and how that has led her and how that has led her to doubling the business over the last 2 years Amanda, I'm so excited to have you back on the podcast. The last time we talked was almost a year ago. It was episode 122, which actually came out like last February, but we recorded, I think, about this time last year. And you had just finished writing kind of the updated version of The Ultimate Sales Machine. Tell me about that experience. Like, What was taking something that is basically the sales Bible for every salesperson and business owner and reworking it. Yeah, that was definitely difficult. It took four years, which in like the final chapter is 10 pages. And I counted on a flight recently how many versions of those 10 pages I wrote. I wrote 94 versions of chapter 13. Wow, (laughs) that's dedication. I wanted it to be spectacular you know when it's printed in a book format it's the final thing you know you can't really go back and edit it much so it definitely helped i mean i am completely a believer in coaching and you need coaching and if you want to get somewhere fast just find somebody that's done that already and then have them help you guide so that you're not falling in the potholes so i have coaches everywhere i mean we do coaching right that's one of the things we do so I got a book coach, Julianne Eason, and she helped me really get it over the finish line. She actually has a book called The Five Author Freakouts. And I get it. She's like, you're going through author freakout number three. You still have author freakout number four and five to go through. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> there was one point where like all I needed to do was like adjust one page. And I looked at it like, I will never be able to finish this. And it was due by like 6 p.m. And she literally grabbed the computer from me and said, okay, Amanda, we're finishing this. And she typed out like the three sentences that needed to be changed. But that it literally (laughs) took support to get that final, this is final, right? Over the finish line. Yeah. I remember seeing a social media picture well, a picture of you on social media where you had like all these pages and chapters laid out on your dining room table and you were literally kneeling on the dining room table. And I'm like, and the caption had something to do with like working on a Friday night. And I'm like, damn, that is dedication and commitment to making this project excellent. And really making it your own too. So what are some of the things, I don't want to give too much away because obviously people should buy the book, but what are some of the things that you changed and updated? Yeah. So, well, interestingly enough, the thing, as I look back on this whole process of the last four years, the thing that landed the most for the most amount of people was actually the foreword, which Julie had recommended to me in our first coaching session. She said, okay, you know, I've read your foreword at the time. It was dear reader because majority of forewords are dear reader. And she said, you know, I got this feeling that instead of dear reader, it should be a letter and it should say dear dad. 
should be a letter to your dad. And I went, no, (laughs) absolutely not. And the resistance was so high. But then finally I said, okay, well, I have paid you to be my coach and to say no would be the antithesis of what I'm paying you for. So yes, I will do it, but it will only be an exercise. It will not go in the book. And then later that day, I wrote it in one fell swoop. I was in public. And you ever had those like ugly cries where it's like so much crying that like snot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Your mascara is down to your chin. Everything. Yeah. So I'm in public. (laughs) This is coming out of me. And I sent it to her. I wrote it all from my phone sitting at a restaurant by myself. And she said that that is a masterpiece. That is perfect. That has to go in the book. And I went, okay, maybe. Okay. And so starting the book was something that I've had since then. Now people are reading it and I've had grown men cry like in my arms Mm -hmm. from reading that forward, which was a bit shocking. And to start a sales book with something that might cause tears feels like the antithesis. But One of the feedbacks that I got from another one of my mentors, Tom Schaff, he had said, you know, your father was very assertive and very aggressive. And if you could just sweeten the edges of him, you know, that would be really helpful for today's day and age and where people are at today. And I think that beginning and then the end of the book, I found this letter that he wrote where he said he generated more wealth in six months than the prior eight years combined my father had. And it was because of this one thing. So I took that letter and I repurposed it and put it as the final chapter as the encore he never got to give on how to live a rich and full life. Those two pieces I really do feel are the just the love encompassing everything that he put together on on how to execute an ultimate sales machine. And then I just added, well, what will enrich it to live a rich and full life as well? So those parts I've been hearing such amazing feedback from. I mean, just the most adoring, loving things. <laughs> I, I need to put them on my walls because they make me cry and it's been really touching. And yet every step of the way, I've been uncomfortable to share those things. I've said no. My team has said yes. We repurposed the Dear Dad into a video. The whole way I'm like, no, it should just be a black screen with me reading it. And you see the words on the screen versus one that had me with like videos of my childhood with my father and pictures and all of this orchestration behind it. And everybody said, absolutely. The pictures and video of you as a child is what's going to land, not the black screen. I'm like, why? No, please. But I feel that people are just starving for some raw, honest authenticity. And so that's been the biggest shock Mm-hmm. To be honest, I did not or I did not plan that. It just kind of happened that way. And that's been the greatest response. Should I pause there and then talk about the business strategies? Yeah, yeah. Cause I saw the video on the landing page just before we hopped on Zoom and it's beautiful. And absolutely 100 percent all the images over a black screen, like two thumbs up. It was very moving and really sweet and really connects you to your dad, who I mean, who founded the company and you've now stepped into his shoes too. So I want to talk about, you know, a little bit later about what you're doing differently, but let's hop into kind of the business strategy and what's changed between then and now and what that looks like, because it's, it's an undertaking. Like you're not just taking something that wasn't completely like effective or, I mean, it's a timeless book. You could have left it as it was and it's still, like the sales Bible of all sales Bibles. So 
from a business strategy standpoint, what got shifted? Yeah. So 15 years ago, when my father came out with the book, websites was two words. <laughs> Just <laughs> That's right. It's like, oh God, that. So we had just introduced the internet. It really hadn't been a thing yet. So the average company would be on seven different marketing mediums 15 years ago. Today, we're on an average of 13 marketing mediums with five social media platforms and three paid advertising sites. It's like we're doing double the amount of work because we used to be competing with just there were 40,000 commercial messages that hit you a day, but that was just B2B. And those were the people that had the budget to be able to market to you, right? Mm -hmm. Who was on radio, who was on television. It was the elite. In the last four years alone, Facebook advertising has gone from 3 million advertisers to 9 million advertisers. And there are 3.8 billion social media pages today. 3.8 billion people putting out content nonstop. So we are inundated with messages. So we really have to come up with a completely riveting message to break through that clutter and get the attention of our prospects. My father talked about the clutter factor 15 years ago. He could have never even fathomed what it is today. On the flip side of that, the benefit of that is that you can create a cult-like following that you don't have to look for a television to do that or a platform to do that. You can do that amidst social media. And when a salesperson uses social, they outsell their peers by 78%. So for instance, you saying that that picture of me sitting on the table with all of the pages from chapter four, just trying to figure out where do these go and how do I orchestrate them? For two years, I posted pictures of me writing the book. Here I am in this other location, writing the book. Here I am at this other location, writing the book. So by the time that I came out with the book, we sold out our stock within the first five days. Right. The publisher, the publisher was like, Amanda, I actually have an email from my publisher saying, stop selling books. This <laughs> is not my problem. I will continue to sell books. You just need to double our print run. And they were like, we don't know if you're going to be able to sell out enough to double the print run. I'm like, double the print run. I put up my hand. I paid for doubling the print run. And then we sold out of that stock before we went live with the book too. So in the pre-sales, we we sold out our print run twice over. And all it would take is I would write on my social media. I mean, this is one of the things that shocked me about social. I went on my social, which I don't have big followings. I don't have hundreds of thousands of followers, right? I have 4,000 here, 3,000 there, maybe 5,000 over there. I said, hey guys, my publisher needs to know by the end of the day how many bulk orders I'm going to do. And I, so tell me your bulk orders now. And within 24 hours, I get another 1,500 sales of books, 2,000 books sold when a lifetime of a book usually on average is like 600 if you're self-publishing it. And if you publish it through a, a traditional publisher, it's on average 3,000. So a lifespan of a book was sold in just one day from a very small following from one social media post of like, hey guys, what do you want? That's the kind of relationship that we can build with so many more people all at once. Yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for me, it's how do you stand out from everybody else and actually get some of your social posts seen? And what I love too is using it in tandem, as you said, with everything else, right? Like it's yeah. just one more piece, even though there's so many pieces to use right now. It's one more piece that 
you start to get that, that when you're doing it consistently, that feedback of, oh, I'm seeing you everywhere. Yes. <laughs> and today you can do that with, you know, micro content. For me, one thing that I did while the book was launching is I changed my podcast to five minute podcasts and I did them daily. So I would read a quote from the new edition of the book and then I would talk about it for three minutes. And this doubled my downloads. It increased my opens of my emails by four times. We had four times more emails opened that month that we ran every single day. And here I am thinking, well, we'll bombard them by sending them a podcast every day and then chunking that onto social medias too. But man, it allowed us to sell organically books without even putting money or dollars behind my funnel. It's fascinating how people want to connect with real people today. Mm-hmm. And when they find somebody that actually has valuable knowledge that you show that you are a subject matter, matter expert, that they cling to that because they're starving for it because there's so much junk out there today. I'll even say, so this is another thing that changed between when my father came out with the book, it was before the internet. So there was not a lot of information. So he had 12 core competencies on how to double sales. I have narrowed that and super niched and focused on the three that I know we can really be well known for. One being education-based marketing, one being the dream 100, right? So I focus clearly on ones that I know we can knock it out of the park because doing all 12 is hard in today's market. You know, riches is in the niches. So I've actually focused more on the key strategies from him rather than going broad across all 12. Right. Could you share a little bit about education-based marketing and what that is? Because I think this is going to blow people away. Yeah. So imagine that you're opening up LinkedIn and every single message you're bombarded with these messages of, hello, I am here to talk to you about my services because I'm the best and I think that you would really like them and I'd love to set up a time to chat, right? We get these nonstop and they're so obnoxious. But the difference is they're reaching out. They know that if they send a hundred messages, three people will raise their hand and say, yes, I would like to book an appointment because I am interested in that right now. So at any given time, whether you're on a stage talking at a trade show, if you have ads running, if you are sending LinkedIn outbound messages, at any given time, 3% of that audience is interested in buying now. Another 7% are open to it. Mm -hmm. The next 30% aren't thinking about you. The next 30% aren't interested. And the last 30% are definitely not interested. So 90% of the people that you're reaching out to don't care about you, your product or service. So how do we get nine times more impact to get nine times more clients from every move you're already making? Shift that messaging so that you are educating your prospect and you're talking to them about what keeps them up at night. You're talking to them about what's happening in their day-to-day lives so that you've at least grabbed their attention and then you educate them into the buying now category. That is what we call education-based marketing, which my father invented as a precursor before content marketing. Today, 
62% of the information that out is out on in the internet is actually hindering the probability of a sale because we've forgotten that you should actually lead your education with something that leads to you as the only logical conclusion. All of your education should lead to you as the only logical conclusion. But today we're just checking off. I've done a Facebook post. I've done an email. I've done a cold call. I've done an ad. And we're not thinking about the strategic objectives that we need to make with every tactic we are deploying. Absolutely. And as the receiver of a gajillion LinkedIn messages, most of them are, buy my thing, here's my link. It's frustrating because sometimes I am looking for stuff, but I won't work with anybody who does that. And because it's just not like, that's not my jam. I want to have the relationship and say hello first before you want me to get married to you. <laughs> like, like, And I think it takes longer. It takes a longer time to warm people up and have them build that trust with you. And that's what people are seeking right now. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about what it's like to build this business now, because you've had a couple of amazing years. I think if I remember correctly, you've like doubled the number of clients that you're working with. What are you doing differently? I'm sure your dad left the company in great shape from the standpoint of having clients and things to use as a springboard. But what were some of the gaps that might have been there? And what are you doing differently, particularly as a woman entrepreneur? Yeah. So when my father passed, I mean, that was just such a flurry of emotions and grief and, you know, loss. He never told me anything about all the different businesses that he had and who ran them and what his goals were. So rather shocking. But on the business side, majority of the leads that were generated within the organization came from radio. And it was just during the point where you were no longer, they had just banned the ability to pick up your phone and dial. So when a radio ad plays and they would pick up their phone to dial, it was now illegal to do that. So leads were drying up from the radio. And I remember six months after my father had passed, people were calling in very angry and even crying saying, you know, Chet passed. Why are you still using his voice on the radio? This should be somebody else. So the creative... Uh, There was nobody really, that was my father that did that in the organization. He came up with the creative. He was the voice. He was the face. Now, he wasn't in the day-to-day or operations for majority of the organization. So that didn't change. But losing that face was, I mean, absolutely shocking for an organization that's built around a brand, a name, and a person. Right, right. So when Mm -hmm. I first came in, We were just trying to figure out how do we shift the marketing and sales channels so that it can, and this was right during a time when people were going online and a lot of people in our, in, in my industry were already starting to sell online on landing pages and we weren't there at all. So I remember, (laughs) I remember my father used to say, don't put your pricing on your website. And I remember the day sitting there going, dad. Times have changed. I'm so sorry. I know that you wouldn't, that you said never to put your pricing on your website, but I have to. Amazon has made this so. I can remember the first time we sold our first service coaching clients on from a landing page. You know, I ran webinars and sold into a landing page and people would purchase that way. So it was a huge shift in what we were doing. And yeah, for me, that's exciting. I love to innovate. That's a thrill for me. So that's been a ton of fun 
And we've innovated multiple times since then, but that was one of the first big innovations that had to be made when I first came in and, and stepped in as CEO. It's been eight years now, but yeah, back then that, that was my yeah. big thing. From a leadership perspective, what did you have to learn? Because you're young, like yeah, you were in your 20s. Yeah. Well, at first it was just, I was there trying to prove myself everywhere. You know, how can I prove that I can get this role? Because I had a lot to prove. <laughs> I mean, right. I didn't even know why I was there, let alone everybody else was like, why are you here? And I'm like, I don't know. This is a really uncomfortable situation. I'm sorry. So at first it was trying to prove myself. And in trying to prove me, that means that I have to push everyone else down, right? Like I'm trying to climb to the top to be number one. And then over time, I started to realize, well, it's not the Amanda show. If it's the Amanda show, then I'm just recreating the same thing that was with my father. You know, I want this to be a community of people that are like-minded. And I met my now business coach, Jerry McNamara, who I absolutely love. And he subscribes to this belief system that I now subscribe to because of his influence, where he said that. When you love your people and treat them as whole people, that's where hyper growth happens. And since I've been working with him, I mean, we've quadrupled sales this year and doubled sales last year. And it's been growth, rapid growth. Mm -hmm. And it really came from finding people that whose core values were very similar to mine. And once we're aligned with our mission and our who we are as individuals, it creates a much bigger organization that all serve in the same wavelength. And then it attracts, like when I look around at the clients that I work with now, it's like a completely different ball game. I thoroughly enjoy them. And it seems as though it's come from this process of cultivating like-minded people within my organization. That, that's been a huge shifting point because when I first came into the company, it was a lot of backstabbing. <laughs> like people saw money and they just attacked. Once I got the ship into a balanced place, I took a year, two years where I just, I worked a couple hours a week. Everyone else ran the organization. I was in a nonprofit, just like talking to more plants than people. I had to heal. There was a lot of trauma and I had lost faith in humanity. So wow. coming back, Jerry was a big part of that too, of like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to do this in a way that flows with me. And even doing an exercise of coming up with my core values, I had done that exercise and I came back to my coach and I said to Jerry, I'm like, I don't think I should be running a marketing and sales training organization based on my answers here. Cause it was like, one word was like grace to find grace and beauty in everywhere and leave it even more beautiful when you leave like service to find humility in knowing that the greatest abundance that happens from life is in giving and like <laughs> these like right. really frolicky loving things and he came back to me and said that's exactly why you should be doing what you're doing and we need that so recognizing that and then finding others similar to me has been a huge part of my growth and my journey. Yeah. So how would you describe your team now that it's not backstabbing and it sounds like very territorial too? Yeah, it's collaborative. It's, I mean, we've innovated in this last year alone, we've innovated more than, I mean, some of my team says that we've innovated what would take someone five years. We've innovated in one year and it really just takes teamwork. You know, I yeah. couldn't have done all this. It's 
finding people that have similar core belief systems and then finding what their strengths are and then being able to communicate amongst each other and work together to grow and serve and flourish. Yeah. For another woman entrepreneur who may be coming into business and really scaling her business, what advice would you give her? That we are very lucky to be women. I feel that we have such great intuition. And if you're surrounded by men, which I am majority of the time surrounded by many men, and whenever I speak on stage, it's usually to a room full of men. (laughs) I find that having a unique perspective is my strength. So to know that what makes you different is what makes you shine and to lean into that. I think that that is critical because I do, I have talked to people at times where they feel like, you know, women don't, it's like, they feel like it's a disservice or that it doesn't assist them, which my guru also was really big on this with me. I was just saying like, do you realize, you know, women are way more observant than men and they pick on on things way faster. I'm like, okay, well, there's benefits to men and there's benefits to women. And I think if we acknowledge and we honor one another, then we can get places much faster and with greater ease. Mm -hmm. So specifically speaking to women, I would say just lean into the fact that that's what you're like, like in chapter seven, every must of marketing was called a weapon. And it was actually Julie who said to me, like, why do they have to be weapons? It's terrible. Let's change that word. I said, you know, you're right. Why is there so much war connotations? I mean, the art of war was a big book that was very popular and still is today. But we chose to use language that was a little bit more loving. That's so fantastic. I mean, that. Just changing those words to me makes a big difference in how you're internalizing it and how you're using strategies too. And I completely agree with you. Like if your unique perspective, your unique way of being is not shining, like then you're not honoring yourself, but there's something to be learned from that. Like that's what I really appreciate in getting to meet everybody that I interview here, but just in life is like different people have different perspectives. And that's fun to learn about. Like you don't have to take on what they're doing. You don't have to necessarily even agree, but just to have the awareness that there are other options or other ways of being out there gives you just, I think, more depth. Absolutely. Yeah. So I love that you changed the words that... a lot about like slaughter and murder and weapon. And I'm like, oh, I mean, if you think about it, right? Like when we talk about goals and other aspects of business, it's like killing it and crushing it. And it's like a lot of anger. And I think when we use more feminine language and energy, it does, it creates a totally different vibe. So I can hardly wait to get my copy. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the things that you innovated this year too that you're super excited about or that you think is going to really benefit people? Well, I did build out a bunch of new boot camps. So what I found is, I don't know if you know the statistics on what, do you know what percentage of people that purchase a course actually go through the course? I would say it's like 3%. Yeah, it's 4%, but you're close, right? Right. So 
very small percentage, which makes me sad because we offer courses that I've been trying to find ways to either make them shorter so people will actually consume them or build out what we're doing now, which are boot camps. So the last few that I've ran over this last year, we are not just tracking like, have you finished it? Because to me, that's just so elementary. We're tracking, are people generating leads and are they generating sales? Right, results. Right, we're tracking results. So we saw 42% of the people that went through my boot camps have actually generated leads within the first 30 days of that boot camp, and then 32% generated sales, which is 10x what industry standard is, right? Because they're looking at 4% just completing it. They're not even tracking results. We're saying 40% of them, and that's within 30 days. Like A lot of the people that are going through our systems are B2B sales, which take a longer sales cycle. It could take six months, eight months to see the fruits of that labor. So I should go back to them and ask. But yeah, it's been really great to see that people more than ever before just want to be, want to have a community. They want to have that experience with other people. I find it so invigorating and I promote the people within the the boot camp sharing with one another, okay, this person said this about their marketing messaging. Okay, what is that experience for you guys? Can you give that person feedback, right? What would you recommend their answer be so that there's this synergy happening so that they can make relationships? And there, when you right. teach something, your ability to discern that information is much higher, right? Rather than just reading it or seeing it. If you then teach it back, it's helping you learn the system. So I I think any chance that people can get to surround themselves with like-minded people, right, especially with what we're about to go through with the economy. I mean, everybody's seeing this recession on the horizon and what will help us get through. I really think communities will help us get through, but we're so divided right now. You know, this is the first year or this is, yeah. This year is the first year that less than the majority of people in the United States will go to church. First year wow. in the history of the United States. We're just seeing this deterioration of, it's like all of those communities are going online, right? And you see the children that went through the pandemic and now they believe that the only way to hang out with their friends is online or through a text message or through Instagram DMs. And so we really have to, I think, do more to be able to be there for one another. And in a community, we'll be able to rise out of this much with greater ease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing for me because... I posted something on Facebook months ago about like stop texting important conversations. And most people agreed, like pick up the phone, meet in person, actually speak to the person because you lose context. But I had a number of people still like really push back and like, that's how I like to handle things. And I'm like, okay, like good for you. I'm not going to get into the argument, but like it solves so many more problems and you have a greater empathy when you have that face-to-face. And yeah, like, and I'm hearing so many women want to build community again in person too. So how do we do that in a way that works for people and brings people together? Yeah. And with the texting thing too, you lose like, isn't it like 60% of communication because you're not hearing the tonality of their voice? Yeah. So no wonder it just perpetuates the issue. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love what you're saying. And again, completely agree. And 
The other piece I love about the boot camp that you're running too, well, boot camps that you're running, is that if other people are giving other people feedback, it's not just you, like they're hearing similar things from different people in different ways. So they're getting like the same information, but from different voices. And I think that resonates with people more effectively. So that time that you're spending together is is really making an impact on the information that they're getting so they can get those better results. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see that with my legacy leader clients. We do two-day CEO retreat days and I lead the whole thing, but everybody's comfortable enough now where they're like, you know, I'm going to call you out on that or I'm, you know, I have this piece of information. So there's a lot of back and forth and it helps, it benefits everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious too, you've been innovating, you've been changing how sales training is done. The book is out. What's next? (laughs) What other mountain are you going to climb? I honestly am trying to figure that out because it, yeah, I would say in the last two weeks, I have sat down and gone, wow, I, that's been a, a mountain for the last four years, right? And I mean, my big, my whole why behind why I did all of that was because I'm very involved in a nonprofit. It's called Divine Bliss. So when I went off and spent my time healing, it was Divine Bliss that I went to. It's under my guru. And if it weren't for my guru, like the company wouldn't be here today. She helped me create this miracle. Because in my head, I'm thinking, I'm 24. There's hundreds of people here. There's no way I could ever do this. And she kept saying, yes, you can. I'm like, well, that's crazy talk. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like In your mind, what are you thinking? What are the limiting beliefs? Okay, how can we overcome them? Okay, how can you discern? Okay, let me give you tools on how to make discernment. Okay, how to meditate. Okay, how to, you know, here's a safe place that you can go. Okay, here's how you eat right. Okay, here's how you live a more positive life. So all of these tools that I've collected over this last decade of studying with her, I've realized, wow, so many more people, especially leaders of organizations, could really use these the this way of living and being to help them get into balance with themselves. Because when they get, it just feels like so many people need a reset right now. So mm-hmm. my 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 goal is to acquire a thousand acres. Right now, we have four centers around the United, or, or sorry, around the world. One in Florida, and we want to procure a thousand acres to create a university of self realization where people can come and just have that reset. I, when I met Guruji, I was allergic to wheat, which the smell of like pizza would make me nauseated. If I ate oh, wow. it, I would have to hospital. It was extreme. And she said, well, every disease in your body is just a dis-ease of your mind. You can release that. And I thought, okay, well, no Western doctors ever told me that. So whatever you have, I'm game. So I had to go all the way across the world to Asia to go through a program with her. And she cured me of celiacs in like six weeks, rebuilt my stomach lining, helped me rebuild my stomach lining. So that I know is my next step. I've driven 10,000 miles around the United States looking for land. I've, I know how to read a topo Mac better than majority of real estate brokers. I mean, that's probably the next wave is how do we get that land? How do we start running these events so that more CEOs can get into balance and have yeah. a trickle down the whole organization? So then yeah. we're teaching marketing and sales stuff. It's like a no brainer. They're like, done, done, done. And they do it because their mind and their body is 
at ease and it's clear and there's clarity there rather than it fogged with all of the debris of our own emotional clutter. Yeah. Well, and they'll create better products and offer better services that help more people and their team and everybody that they're working with will have more positive experiences. So I think that's brilliant and much needed. Please find your thousand acres and close to Charlotte so I can visit regularly. We've looked a lot in the Carolinas. We've looked a ton in the Carolinas. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Amanda, this has been amazing and super fun as always. I love your energy. Like you just, you have unending energy and enthusiasm for everything that you do. You're so, so welcome. Share with everybody where they can get the book and then where they can connect with you too. UltimateSalesMachine.com. <laughs> Which we'll have the link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, go get the book. And if you want to find me, I'm on all of the social medias, but Instagram is my favorite. And Amanda Holmes was taken by some woman that doesn't use her Instagram. So I had to take my salsa name. So I am Amandita Holmes on Instagram. Okay. All I know is I follow you. So it's all good. (laughs) I love your posts. Again, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. 